Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. Welcome to the OECD Podcast series, Truth Hurts. This episode looks at measures that business can take to support women who are experiencing domestic violence. My guest today is Margaret Johnston-Clark. Margaret is the Global Chief Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer for the L'Oreal Group. We will be talking about an initiative called One in Three Women, which was founded by a group of large multinational companies. Hello, Margaret. Hello, Monica. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Margaret, we are very intrigued by the One in Three Women initiative because it is not immediately obvious why companies would become involved in the topic of violence against women, and particularly domestic violence. What is the background for this initiative? Where did it come from? It happened that some of us, uh, several large French companies got together approximately, I'd say almost a year after the Me Too movement was launched in the U.S. and became global. And the Fondation Agir Contre l'Exclusion, here based in France, which is a network of companies, started this initiative with the Foundation Caring, and they invited several other companies to join this coalition. So L'Oréal joined, but also BNP, Paribas, Carrefour, SNCF, Corian were the initial ones who came together in 2018. So we launched the One in Three network at that moment, and we're growing since then. And where did the idea come from? The idea was really to see what was our responsibility as companies to create and to experiment measures to fight violence against women or gender-based violence in order to really support survivors among the employees, but also work more hand-in-hand with nonprofit organizations. So the desire was to tackle this issue because statistically, we um, probably had several of the survivors within our walls and therefore we had a responsibility. At that moment when you when you started this, was this already something that you were seeing on a daily basis in your company? To be completely honest, no, uh, because it was such a taboo that people very rarely spoke up and disclosed. So the point of this first actions we put into place was raising awareness type of trainings. Obviously, we made no one attend them. We just offered it as an option. Uh, we were able to train several people, employees within each of our organizations. And that's where people started speaking up a little bit more. We then decided to collectively as a network launch a study to measure the impact of domestic violence in the workplace. Because I have to say that at first we did get a few queries from people saying, well, what is the role? Why would a company get involved in such a private matter? And it did reveal that we did have survivors in all of our companies. It was obviously anonymous, but throughout all of our teams and throughout all of our functions. It also enabled us to measure the impact of this violence on the victims and on their teams in terms of their effectiveness at work, absenteeism, and other things. So we could see really a correlation between the behaviors of survivors in the workplace, therefore the urgency to act upon it. That's really interesting because that's, of course, a big debate that we also face in other areas. Um, For example, when we talk about the economic impact of discrimination or when we talk about the need to integrate women better in the labor force, then sometimes we're accused of saying we're instrumentalizing women for economic growth. Did you face that as well? 
did people say to you as a company, this, this is a little bit cynical to, to take such a horrible, big problem of violence and women potentially being endangered in their livelihood as something that is a, basically looks at the bottom line for companies? So interestingly enough, no, we did not get that kind of feedback. The only negative feedback we did get was why would we get involved in something that was, you know, private matter? So my response at the time was very simple, was we get involved when people get pregnant, when uh, people go through illness, when they lose someone close. We, as a company, go into those in that privacy. Therefore, it's odd that when someone, a survivor, is in dire straits of health needs to speak up, that we would not be there because we're actually the only place where a survivor could reach out to seek help. By definition, that person will not do so in their household. They've oftentimes been isolated from their families or from their friends. And therefore, the workplace seems to be the only place uh, that's realistically an opportunity for people to seek help. So the company's job is not really necessarily to become experts in the matter, but at least to be able to identify a certain behavior ask the right questions, and then know towards whom direct the survivor. That is, identify the local NGOs who are around where the person can go and seek actual counsel. But we also have certain responsibilities as a company that we do, for instance, with housing or with other types of benefits that we can also gear towards these type of requests and expectations from, from survivors. Since you started the initiative, I suppose you've had many cases coming forward and people who you could help? So what we've done is actually we, so we started by the training because there is so much stigma attached to domestic violence or intimate partner violence. So the idea was to also explain what that entails. And it's not only physical violence. It's not someone who's bruised who's going to be talking. It might be someone psychologically or economically offended. Then we wrote an HR policy dedicated to domestic violence. This policy has now gone global. So it's in all of our entities worldwide, but it was an inspiration for us. And we wanted to really lead the way. We were very vocal during the ILO convention on this matter in 2019. And we actually invited other companies to join, to speak up and to really uh, put pressure on to make sure that that convention 190 was going to be passed. So this was about harassment and uh, abuse in the workplace, but with a specific focus on domestic violence and the role that companies should play. So you find out that you have one or several employees who are struggling with this, um, who are being harassed, who might be followed to the workplace, who are scared, who you might even see some traces of, of domestic violence. What, in very concrete terms, are the steps that the employer takes then? So our responsibility is really to fight against all form of gender-based violence within the organization, but also outside of the organization, because this is a way of avoiding maybe, you know, traumatic events to happen. So it's not just an HR matter, because in the study we conducted, we noted that most of the survivors don't go and speak to their managers or to the HR. They speak to a colleague when they want to open up and seek help. So we need to make sure that we are able to detect those signs and ask the right questions. 
because you will get a certain behavior, maybe um, less of a concentration. You will have noted certain things that timing, for instance, one of the things is important. This is something we noted at L'Oreal. There were after our you know, drinks and people getting together. Most of the survivors tend to have to leave at a very specific time. They would miss all that. So what happens is also they often get isolated from their own teams because they're on a very kind of strict regimen. So our responsibility is basically to spot or at least be in tune when someone doesn't seem to be going well to ask the right questions in case they are a survivor. And then the question is making sure that they understand that this is a safe space and that they can disclose and speak freely. The most difficult part is when the survivor decides to leave their partner or ex-partner. That's where a company can actually jump in and offer maybe housing, temporary housing, help for daycare. Like in our case, we work with different daycare centers for, for young children, maybe finding a spot for a, a young mother. Um, so this is where we can, giving time off, enabling the person to go and see an attorney or seek help. And then obviously, as I said before, orient towards the right NGO. That's about as much as we can actually offer, really. Well, those are a lot of very good programs and a lot of help. I've also heard about companies perhaps giving women new cell phones because yeah. the one they have is being controlled by the abusive husband or partner, or also maybe making sure that the abuser is not led into the building by taking pictures and giving them to the receptionist. Is that also something that you've been doing? Yeah, we can do that. One of the things we can do is also make sure, for instance, that the person might because once the survivors left the household, what happens is that she may have changed phone numbers, she may have changed lodging, but usually she keeps her job for obvious reasons. So oftentimes what happens is that the former partner or partner can, knows where to find her. And this is where we can also be of use in changing positions, for instance, in, in changing location. That person can change buildings. So working in a big company, we might not necessarily give a picture to the people at the front desk, but otherwise we might be able to just change her location, her work location, walk her to the parking lot at night, you know, when she goes to get her card. So these are the type of safety issues that we can also work on. How, since the start of this program, has your experience been evolving? Have a lot of women come forward? Are you seeing people sharing, becoming confident enough to share the story with their managers, with the HR department? Have you been able to put in place many of these measures that you could have in your program? So what we've noted, obviously, is the fact that with the lockdown that's happened everywhere in the past 14 months, the general public has become much more aware of intimate partner violence or domestic violence. So that's something that's changed dramatically. It's much less of a taboo to discuss it. And the roles of company we, we did as a network with one in three women, we actually sponsored a campaign in France during the lockdown last spring and this fall to uh, really promote a phone number for victims and survivors, but also for people who were witnessing things from their apartment and who also wanted to reach out because they were hearing things or seeing things that were leading up to, to domestic violence. 
we did a taping with a French celebrity to really promote this message, but we also promoted it um, when the subways reopened here in Paris, for instance, in May. As you all know, within the first few weeks of confinement in most countries, the figures raised to over 30% of domestic violence. But it does remain a taboo internally in the sense that people don't speak freely about this yet. So we don't have the data because they'll usually speak and there's some sort of confidentiality that will be put together with the manager or with the HR or in, in some cases in countries where we have uh, nurses and medical services, uh, that information will not be shared. So I would not be able to answer your question in terms of percentage of people who've declared or have disclosed their situation since we launched the program because of confidentiality, but I'm quite confident that the numbers have risen because people are made aware that they can actually speak up if they wish to. That's very good news. Now, let me ask you a tricky question that's related to men. For every woman that's abused, obviously there's a man uh, abusing her. Um, and some of these men might also be working in the companies that are in the one in three women network. Are you also trying to work with men on this? Uh, do you have any indication of perhaps um, abusers on staff? That's a very good question. So we haven't developed a specific training on this, but in the training, which is given by organizations like Women's Aid, they do talk about the type of profile, the type of behavior of those men. We don't actually have at this stage a program focused solely on them, but we have taken this into account in our HR policy. So we would have to take measures if they were using, for instance, a company phone or company computer, but mainly a phone to harass their victim. These are things that are taken into account. And we do have a whole whistleblowing policy. So we can also reveal or, or denounce that type of behavior through our Speak Up platform. So there are many ways we can do this, but we haven't we haven't really focused yet on it because our priority was really focused on the, the survivors. Also, we do have certain survivors who are men, obviously. We tend to talk more about gender-based violence when we talk about domestic violence because it can also be uh, for men or for you know, non-binary or trans people. So we, we have to take that into account as well, and not just associated to women. So when you rolled out this whole program and this whole activity, it's obviously a very new angle for many people. What were the main obstacles? Were there any kind of big barriers that were standing in your way, which you hadn't expected? I think what I didn't expect was the lack of knowledge on such a common behavior. I was amazed at the denial. It was very interesting, the people who volunteered to attend these trainings we did, with you know, nonprofit partners, uh, when they came out, even the ones who were convinced that there was an issue were incredibly convinced and became great advocates. So I, I guess what I was also didn't expect is when we did the survey, which was anonymous, we received a huge amount of very, very positive feedback from employees. They would be saying things like, we're so proud that you know our company L'Oreal is involved. So there was a huge amount of pride. So I guess, yes, I didn't expect how little educated people were, but also how enthusiastic people were. 
And I suppose that you're also exchanging notes with the other companies in the network. Have you heard from the others if their experiences have been similar to the ones that you've just described? We do speak a lot. Uh, we do common projects like the study in 2019, like the campaign in 2020. In 2021, we're working together on several work streams. One of them is making sure that we're rolling this out to other countries and that it doesn't just stay at a corporate level. I guess the biggest difference is the size, but also the type of jobs we offer. So Corian will have a completely different type of workforce, people coming in and out of their institutions, uh, whereas we have a lot of office jobs. And then Carrefour has a completely different because they're supermarkets. So we each have our own work environment, which obviously has a lot to do, but there are many common traits. So we've shared, for instance, our HR policy on DV with all of them. And when we wanted to uh, speak up and, and really push forward for this convention at the ILO, at the International Labor Organization in 2019, we reached out first and foremost to the companies in the network. We do a lot of sharing best practices and kind of making sure that we can move the line and move the fig and change the figures together. And is this fight against um, domestic violence uh, going to be a long-term part of your strategy or is it like a pilot program that will eventually be ended or replaced by something else? It is part of our strategy. And I don't think, unfortunately, it is about to end because it's been centuries of this type of behavior that was never called upon or stopped. So I think on the contrary, the only thing that's really good is that because of lockdowns around the world, Media and influencers have picked it up and really talked about it on November 25th, which is the international day dedicated to this matter. We can see each year more and more kind of general public type of interest and not just experts or people from nonprofits. So I think it's unfortunately here to stay. I mean, I say unfortunately because I'd love it to be something that we could overcome quickly, but I think it'll take some time. And I think uh, the more we advance, the more we can help others also advance on this matter and getting more, you know, private sectors involved and not just the state or the local city hall or, or I mean, it has to become really part of everyone's strategy. Thank you so much, Margaret, for joining us today and sharing the experiences of one in three women. Thank you, Monica. For more information on One in Three Women and how companies can join, you can contact the Fondation FAS. To find the contact details and learn more about the OECD's work on violence against women, please go to www.oecd.org gender. To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and soundcloud.com OECD.